everyone. Today you have Jake and Seth, and we're going to be discussing the 1994 film, The Crow, based on a comic book, but you didn't know that, Seth, and made for 20, I'm joking, made for 23 million, made 94 million at the box office, which is 4X, very big, um, that was very successful, has an 83% of Rotten Tomatoes, but I'm bearing the lead here, that this is most famous for Brandon Lee, Bruce Lee's son, who was the main lead, dying in one of the last days of shooting in a tragic, very, very avoidable accident, uh, and he was killed. He was killed. They ended up having, uh, I think, it was initially they had to spend eight or nine million dollars to to reshoot it, to finish off, to basically rewrite it, re, re, refinish it, but it, it came out. I didn't see it in theaters, but because of his death, it had um, it added a lot of attention to it. This was a big movie. It, 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 it's been kind of lost, I feel like, in the greater comic book shuffle, and we're gonna, but um, we'll probably talk about that. But it was an important film at the time, and the more I thought about it, um, I actually think it's a pretty important film too for jet, like all comic book films. We'll get into that later, but that's kind of my take. I do remember seeing this. This is a film where I saw a couple times on cable, uh, like seeing parts of it before I saw the thing its entirety. And then when I did see it its entirety, it really just brought it together for me. I, I've been talking long enough. I really like this movie. I'm sure we're going to dive into all the nooks and crannies. But Seth, throwing it to you. Uh, it was interesting for me to rewatch this one. I, I think in my head, in my memory, I always considered it a pretty good movie. On my rewatch, I'll be as honest as possible. I did not enjoy it as much as I remembered it. And I, I kind of ended up feeling like it was, I think it's of a certain time period. Uh, you know, for a night in like most 90s movies, I don't think dated. I think this one is a bit dated. I actually ended up feeling like it was like, it's kind of like an hour and a half grunge era MTV video was like almost the feel I got from this movie. It's a little overly dark, I want to say. I, I felt like there were things that I would do to lighten it just a tad. Um, I know it's supposed to be, I mean, it's a dark story, obviously, but it, <laughs> there were times I, I thought it was kind of going too far. There were things I thought that were a little unrealistic. Um, you know, the, the gang of bad guys in the beginning had not, I, I couldn't tell if it was supposed what? to be book known or like realism. And I think it was a little bit muddled for me in there. Sorry. So I didn't mean to cut you off. I, I, I have a whole thing about the bad guys. So I, I apologize for cutting you off. I thought you were going to dive into that. Oh, um, well, uh, the thing I did like is that the main villain, uh, Top Dollar, that actor, uh, Michael Wincott, always liked that guy. He gives a good performance. I enjoyed Ernie Hudson as kind of like a, a guy I can trust in this movie and a guy that's not doing anything over the top. Um, and he's kind of a veteran actor, I think. Um, it was just interesting. You know, it really is of a certain time. It's of that grunge era period. Uh, you know, I really felt like I was in a Kurt Cobain or a Pearl Jam video for most of the time. It was interesting in that respect. And so it's like, I understand why this movie struck a nerve at the time it came out. And like you said, I, I actually think the Brandon Lee death has kind of extended the legacy of this movie in a lot of ways. And I don't know if it would be as remembered if that didn't happen. I think what I'm about to say could be very macabre at best and, and 
incredibly insensitive and inappropriate worst. So I apologize in advance. It the death gives it a weird mystique, and I, I, that's awful. I realize that, but much like the Dark Knight, um, and didn't the Twilight Zone wasn't there a death in the Twilight Zone as well? There was a horrible death involving a, a helicopter and a decapitation, and it, it put a whole weird damper on that. And it was John Landis. So um, I didn't actually I haven't seen that movie, but it's so rare for these deaths to occur when they do it immediately. Like it's remembered for people who know anything about movies when it happens in a good movie or what's successful at the time, it gives it, I think it adds more impact. And I I feel even gross just talking about this. Like someone died and I like, I've also seen some, I remember being, when I found out that Bruce Lee died young, I was heartbroken. I found that out about like the same time I found out Brandon Lee was dead. Cause it's like, Oh, Bruce Lee's son. I was like, Oh, and Bruce Lee died young too. I was like, Bruce Lee's dead. Like I was like, just thought like he didn't make movies. Like I, I just knew who he was. So the, it hit me again. I'm not trying to make light of either of their deaths, but it's really tragic. And when I watch this, as I said, I've seen this movie a lot. I haven't seen its entirety a lot. It's probably only the second or probably the third time I've seen its entirety. And I haven't seen it for a couple of years. It is, I think there's something like tragic about it that works. You could say like kind of like there are some elements that are like, I think have like a kind of like tragic beauty, but a lot of it to your point is very ugly. Like, and I get that it's a dark story, but especially when it comes to T-Bird in the game, like I didn't appreciate it. And you mentioned it. I seen its entirety and also like where we've come in both horror with like the torture porn and everything. And with just where we have come with like, when it comes to fantasy comic book films, um, like there's been such a proliferation of content and stories and like, whether it's true blood or movies, like, or I'm kind of losing myself here, but whether it's comic book films, horror, fantasy, whatever it is, we've had so much, in the last 35 years or thir- um, since this was made to me, 27 years and it shows. And it's like the things that were so like great about it then haven't aged as well because we've gotten it. And like, it might've been new or fresh or different then, and it still has that, but it's been done so much better since then. And that's a really long winded way of just saying like, I, where I'm going with that is they keep revisiting that opening violence. Like the, 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 the violence of the initial crime is terrible. I don't remember them going back to it so frequently, but like the first it's, they keep going back to it. And then it's like, it's, there's the torture. The movie just has you on edge the whole time. And I forgot, like, even though like, Oh, he, he can't die. It's like, well, he can die. And that they figured the bad guys figured out quickly. It's, um, I'm, I've been going on too long here, but what I want, what I was going to, what I'm trying to go with is like, what, I think the darker aspects of it haven't aged as well. And I think it's just because like we would probably have a little more restraint now and watching it through a modern lens. I, I, it's not torture porn, but it's closer to that than it is to, I think like true detective, which is I, when I think of like, there's something just kind of gruesome about it. And to do a co- like a comparison inside that time period, you know, I think seven comes out either the year before or the same year as this movie. No, it comes out after came out after well and it's like that's a movie i feel like 
has similar, you know, themes going on, similar darkness, similar gruesome stuff. But for whatever reason, that movie, I don't feel as as dated as this one. And I feel like it's more watchable and stuff. There's just sections of this movie that I felt like were too, uh, you know, too one-tone kind of. And it's like you're in this dark city and it's raining and it's just like, again, similar thing to Seven, but it's like, for, for whatever reason, I didn't enjoy myself inside the movie Seven or whatever. Um, I think it's supposed to be set in Detroit. Um, another thing I had read about the making of this movie was that there was just a ton of crazy shit happening on the set and that a lot of people were doing drugs. It sounded like a lot of the stuff was out of control, kind of. Um, which kind of comes off in the movie, actually. And I also, you know, some of the stuff that you can kind of tell they're kind of cut corners. It's not, there's not a lot of big budget set scenes. A lot of the car chases are done with miniatures and stuff. So there's not a ton of practical effect. And like you said, they ended up spending money to do some of this digital stuff to make it kind of seamless with Brandon Lee. You can also tell there's some shots and stuff from behind his back or with like really dark lighting and they're kind of covering up that it might be a stunt double or something. And so it, none of that kind of overtakes the movie, but it's just all kind of there if you're really looking for it, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't paying attention to that um, because I never noticed it. And before I watched it, I was reading up on it, which probably wasn't the best, but I read about that, the death, because that was obviously a newer and talk about it. And it was just so interesting. Like it did, like, it just seemed like such a strange confluence of events. Like I would not, I, mean, I don't want to walk through here. It's very complicated, but it's basically like, everything that could go wrong did and like they like people different people working on the props they sent the the one guy home early but it wasn't like but it, it should have been okay like it was it was just i guess that's like when tragedy happens it's like when all those things come that's how it happens all these small things come together um yeah, but at, fearlessness just on the set in general and you know not double checking things and not yeah yeah but then like that's what i say but then when you hear that i didn't realize all that was going on it's like that makes sense like and it seems like even before um i'm not familiar with the 1990s producing scene but i don't know any of these guys most pressmen or hell and proyas didn't really go on even though this was a good movie he didn't really go on to have, I think, the career people thought he would. And, and so the way I look at it, like he made Dark Chrome, Dark City almost four years later. Like I think that probably tainted a couple of these guys, probably for the reason you said, like it's they didn't have control and then something bad happened. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's like directly, there are things about it. Like I do think there's a tone to the movie and there's an, there's an aesthetic to the movie. That, that does come across and it's like it's clear to me that some of the art direction and set planning and stuff some of that is well done you know the whole thing with the broken window that whole setup there like in what used to be the apartment that's all pretty well done and everything and so i did think you know the art direction of this movie i think struck a chord at the time and it's still kind of visible today it was more just i mean there's certain things in the movie that just didn't you know the whole thing where he, he's like He's, he takes a guitar from the pawn shop and then he's just kind of like, he's got an amp hanging down from a rooftop and he's playing like grunge music from a rooftop. I was just like, I, yeah, some of that stuff I didn't totally buy. And again, like that, can we, I, I'd like to talk about the group of the gang. The, like the first Let's do it. Let's do it. Because the, <clears throat> the one thing I was going to say quickly before about the gang, again, spoiler alert, but you mentioned how he took the thing from the guitar shop. 
he has a habit of taking things from each uh, gang member. And at first, I really was like, oh, I forgot about this. And I was like, that's such a great way, like, for a hero to build his costume or his outfit. Like, like what's his, like, mask? And it's like, oh, it's going to be taken from all these guys who created him. But then by the, yeah, by the guitar, it's like halfway through. And I'm like, this guy didn't really have anything to do. He's like a secondhand criminal. Not that he doesn't deserve it. And then I was like, he never hits anyone with the guitar. Just like, and then I don't even think he takes anything else from the other guys. I was just very much like, it, it was a, I thought it was such a good storytelling device. But then it just like, they didn't execute it well. Yeah, that was the moment when I was like, the aesthetic and tone and the grungeness of the movie kind of overtook the storyline for a little bit of times. So, all right, let's talk about, they didn't have a name. I thought they did, but so there's four henchmen. There was some name. It's like T-Bird, so T-Bird, Skank, Tintin, and Fun Boy. And by the way, I just want to say, how dare you? You talk about Michael Wincott, but you don't talk about David Patrick Kelly as T-Bird? That's our boy. That's our boy. That's the guy from New War from the Warriors. That's the guy from the Warriors and uh, the um, the Longest Yard remake. He's trouble. He's trouble. He's he's not he's not bad of, of that group of four. I think he's the best actor and gives the best performance. I yeah, he's in Forty Eight Hours, Dreamscape. He's a he's a career criminal. He's incredible. The introduction of that group of, of, of characters, though, was a, one of the more outrageous scenes I've ever seen, where they're all, they're taking shots at swallowing bullets. One guy is putting out a cigarette or a cigar on his tongue, and it's just like, it's about who's the wildest or the crazy, and then it's like, at one point, they're all holding guns to each other, then they're all kind of doing their little dance routine, and it was just, I, di- I didn't, I, it didn't come across as genuine to me, Jake. It's so funny you say that, because that was one of the things and again, in my three-minute ramble, what I didn't, what I somehow didn't mention, like that was a, one of the perfect examples of something that I remember thinking was cool when I was yeah. 10, 11, 12, when I saw this. And at 35, when they swallowed the bullet, the first thing I thought was, how is that getting there? Like, like, what, are you going to poop that out? Like, I, I'm just like, and again, like, like, oh, it's a comic book movie. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. Like, I understand why this guy can, he's reanimated by a crow. That's why he can do things he do. Why are these assholes swallowing bullets? And then, then like, when they all pulled guns on each other, the thing I kept asking myself was, I was like, this is, they're not really, like, a team or even a gang. They don't seem to like each other. Like, they just seem to be kind of like, and then they, they start dying off so quickly. I, I it was one of the things I remember, and I think they do a great job of some of the other villains. And overall, they do a great job of using the villains to like build him up, almost like a video game, building him up and like yeah. taking him. And it's like giving him each challenge. But in terms of like the characters, yeah, the the T Bird and his lackeys did not like age well outside of being like good fodder, like fodder, like they. But even then, it's like the crime. Is so they go and they attack Shelly. She doesn't want to move out of her apartment building. Pretty weak plot point there, but like again, it's something they never come back to. Like a, a gentrification. Like there's things you could have done there, but like they never come back to it. She doesn't want to move. Only person in the building. So he, the top dollar sends these guys to I, I think 
rape her and then force her to leave. But it seemed like they were there to kill her. And then he comes. But, like, where I'm going with this is they position it as every the only reason people died was because the boyfriend came back. But, like, they looked like they were going to kill her. So, I don't understand. Like, that was one of the things about them, too, where it's, like. And even, even the whole, like, top, top dollar sort of describes his plan to this group of gangsters at some point. And um, it's like his whole plan is basically on a devil's night, the night before Halloween, we're going to set fire to a bunch of buildings and, like, rob them all. And I was like, that's not that ingenious of a plan. I mean, I just didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't connect everything in terms of, like, so this guy sets fire in all these buildings and nobody's suspected him. I don't know. Now, like, the cops, too, right? Like, the, the struggle between Ernie Hudson and that other detective, it's like, they're clearly not working well together. They're clearly not solving this case. Um, I also wondered, the, the plot line with the young girl, do you feel like that was pumped up, like, after the Brandon Lee death? Or was that always part of the movie? Because that part, I didn't connect with the whole lot either. Like, I didn't really care about the little girl that much. So it's funny you you mentioned that 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 was another thing that I remember her being a bigger part of it, but she's not. I I think it might have been. I think it might have been something to like kind of tie, really tie the first and the second act together, kind of the middle of the movie together, because or like you need some person to be helping basically. Like if the crow just comes back and kills people, I guess it's a little too. And so it's like he's helping a girl in some respect. I, th- I think the way I, Sarah is the one innocent with Shelly dead and uh, Eric killed the resurrector. She's the innocence, but she doesn't play innocent. Like she's like, not like she's a streetwise kid. She's a street tough kid, which I get. She's a good kid, but like she doesn't have much agency. It when she doesn't really do much in the plot. She's just like, and after the first 30, 40 minutes, like, I, I guess they use her. I, I know they use her again as, like, um, a hostage. Yeah. But one of the things that, like, I, again, I know this is a common trope in horror movies and revenge films. That's another thing. As a revenge film, like, this kind of fits a lot of those old classic, really, like, 70s, 80s tropes. It's a little dated for the 90s. And it's just even more aged now, like, with just how violent it is. And I'm thinking of the, like, um, I can't remember it now. But there's there was all those female revenge horror films and like this kind of feels like that like it's the male aspect the male view of the female horror film and where i'm going with this is the women characters have not aged well like you have shelly who's literally a victim and a ghost the whole time you have sarah the the girl who's a hostage no agency just a total prop excuse me then you have her mom darla who's an addict a terrible mother and like purposely cavorting with these terrible people like there there aren't a lot of heroes in this but i mean there is ernie hudson who's clearly established as like the good guy and like he's even like ernie, even ernie hudson though like once they're like they put him on suspension and then he comes back to like help the crow and he gets shot and i was like why would ernie hudson get involved in this and get himself shot like he would go home and like I couldn't, I couldn't quite wrap my head around the motivation for him to fully involve himself again. I was going to say, I got the feeling that this was more of like a Gotham City, and there wasn't just one. Like I didn't get the feeling Top Dollar was the only bad guy in town, and if you got rid of him, like the snake would die. I got the feeling that like this was one block. And so, yeah, I don't understand why Ernie Hudson is is putting his life on the line. But, the one thing, but with that being said, I'll give him a pass. 
because he is like really one of the only heroes. It's a hero film. There's going to be other heroes. So like he's really the only one acting like a hero. So I'll give him that pass. I, yeah, I agree with that. It, he, I, I was always happy when he was on screen because I felt like it was another, it was a different kind of energy emitting instead of just like crazy lunatic energy. Nonstop. Again, I kind of understand why when I was young, yeah, like you said, like a 12-year-old or 13, why I would have been into this movie and thought it was cool. But now that I'm older, it's definitely this thing of like, you know, I, I didn't connect with it the same way. It was interesting. Agreed. And with, one of the things I felt was like in the moment watching the film, it was enjoyable. And it still had that like, I don't want to say it's not blockbuster, but it has like a pulpy, a pulpness to it. Like, it's like turning the page. It's like when I say pulpness, it's like a pulp comic. We want to turn the page, see what happens. It's gruesome. It's like, and there's still has an element of that. But yeah, like with a, do you, even t- you don't even need to take a step back. Like by, by like halfway through the film, I was like, what the, I was like, this is like, when does it let up? Where is the levity? Like where, like, and even, I mean, we talked about like, even like the shining with Kubrick has a couple moments of levity. Like you need to lighten it up and it, it could have used a comic relief character in there, even if it's a villain. I think just somebody with some, you know, some snappier lines or something would help a little bit. I think that's what John Polito as Gideon was supposed to be, the pawn shop guy, and it's just not. He's not fun. Like he he plays Weasley well, and like I think he's getting the, but he's not like he's not funny in that he is breaking the tension or balancing the darkness. He is funny in like a skeevy like this guy plays skeevy well. Like it's not like. It just is. One of the things I did like, I guess I liked, was um, for a lot of the action sequences and the hand-to-hand combat, it didn't come across as like a kung fu thing. Like it actually came across more of like, I don't know how to describe it, but just sort of like natural violence and fights where I think when Brandon Lee was cast, some people thought, is this a kung fu movie or something? But it actually comes across much more naturally. And like he kind of just roughs people up. And the action is believable. Like he's clearly, when he's alive, obviously he's clearly doing a lot of those stunts himself and everything. That was actually one of the things I like. And also, especially with the first few guys, they give him a couple different things to do. It's like he's doing, and it's not. He's not like kicking everyone. Like he's not like slicing everyone up. Like he, he does a little bit of like he kills Tintin with his knives. He uses the car to kill T Bird. Um, I think he uses drugs to kill Fumboy, and then it's like. He almost blows up the Gideon at the punch. It's like he's doing different things. And then even at the fight, yeah, at the end, like I think they have samurai swords at one point and they're like jumping around. But like to me, it felt like a, I say that, but to me, it didn't feel like a samurai film. It felt like I was watching like something more like The Matrix or something like Daredevil when he's fighting the hand. Like, yeah, it felt like hardcore comic book violence. Yeah. That's probably the way it's supposed to come. Yeah, which I, you know, I even consider that, but you're right. And I actually give it credit for not, I don't want to say devolving into a martial arts film is not the correct word, but I would say it would be incongruent with the rest of the film. And I think the style they chose is effective. I think, I think it, that has aged well, if other aspects haven't. Yeah. Quickly about the villains, I just want to bring up, we talked about Wincott as a little, Wincott as top dollar. Bai Ling as Micah and Tony Todd as Grange. An early Bai Ling performance. I thought those three. Yeah. Perfect. Like that. Like that's where you make your money. Those are a great three. 
uh, Bailin and I mean the Bailing and Winkat. I forgot that they were incestuous, but it's incestuous brother and sister before uh, Game of Thrones. Two years before Game of Thrones came out, Seth. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. And then I, the three of them, I thought, were just much more subtle and layers to their performances. Whereas, like the original gang is just—it's almost like you're watching a comic book. Scene. Like it's just too over the top. It was funny. I think for every for the reasons we're saying that those first four goons like didn't aren't working like big and over the top and showy. I think what makes the other three granted like Wincott's doing lines off of naked women and Bailing is like showering in front of her brother. It's weird stuff. But at the same time, they're like actual when they're talking to people and interacting with people. It's their calmness. And it's like even Wincott, like he does some violent things, but he's always calm. Even when he's doing it, he's calm. And it's their restraint, I think. It's it's not just that. It's their performance. But to me, the way they play restrained is much more frightening than the way those guys, force other four guys play like loud and trying to be scary. Yeah, I really thought they kind of sort of salvaged that end of the movie where, you know, if, if you had a... a a main villain that was too over the top on top of that, you know, it just, I think you do something, but the, you know, that group of actors did kind of salvage it and, and make it more interesting for me to watch at least. Cause they, you know, those, those some of those monologues that Woodcock gives, he's talking about his dad. It's actually kind of interesting to just watch him do that performance. So, which is much, it's a totally different thing than what those other guys are doing. Yeah, it's true. It's, um, I just wish they could have had that same inspiration with those first four because like watching it now and rem- thinking how i re- remembering how i thought of those guys and then watching it now like i think there is still so much potential like to really flesh those guys out and like i, I like how they individualize them with a few things but i heard there was they almost attempted to reboot this with jason momoa in like 2018 would you have been interested in that yeah, I mean the the beauty of it, I mean, like the way they do it, the other films, like the crow can just keep bringing people back. So like, if you can make it the crow one, but why not? Like you just make it called the crow. Like you don't need to reboot it. Like and like obliviate this. Like just call it whatever. Like crow awakening or something. Um, the other thing, you know, I was trying to get a read on Brandon Lee, but I just it was just hard to kind. You know, most of the time he's wearing makeup. It's mostly a physical performance, but it, it was just hard for me to get a read on like where this guy's career could have gone, what he would have done, kind of thing. I'm assuming he would have done more action stuff because he's a really good at doing stunts and physical performance and everything. But he, none of the scenes I thought were bad acting wise. I guess some of the some of the script and the lines I thought were a little corny or over the top, especially when he's talking to Sarah, the little girl, but. For the most part, I did think his performance was pretty good. I was going to ask you like, where you think he would comp out. Um, it's hard to say. Because right? like, I, I look at his career, and he had a couple movies leading up to it. This was clearly the biggest one. Um, but let's say he doesn't die. And let's say that means it doesn't make as much money. Let's say it just makes 3X. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, he's in the sequel. That probably does better. Um Maybe he's in the Mortal Kombat movie. Maybe. Maybe he is in one of the like I, I think 
I was gonna say I could see him doing a lot of those like '90s Van Damme kind of movies. Like maybe he'd kind of go down that path. It's actually funny to say that. I say that was like Statham ended up filling that gap, but there was a while there. There was a window, and I felt like he would have probably fallen in there. Uh, that would be my assumption. You know, I, I would have been interested if he did try to do something more dramatic and less action. And like a, you know, for all I know, he could have been that type of actor that played, you know plays both sides almost like a bruce willis or something where it's like he can be heavy or he can do some drama i don't know it's hard it's you know he died very young and it's like anyone who dies in their 20s like that it's just it, it is sad it's sad i also didn't realize it just were like he turned down playing his dad in the the bruce lee biopic which yeah, I, I used to love that movie. i used to watch that movie all the time I love that movie. I've seen that movie, and but I give him credit for turning that down. But that was also probably a mistake. Actually, I can't say that. Actually, you know, what? I can't say that as a personal decision. I actually just I read why he did it. As a business decision, I'm glad he didn't do it for his own personal well-being. If I was his agent, I would be crying. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that would have been a good business decision. On a personal level, I don't know how he felt about his dad stuff and how he's portrayed in that movie. Oh man! The... Also, for any for any conspiracy theorists, I I don't think there's any cons- real conspiracy behind the brain of Linda. I cannot. I kind of understand some weird ideas about the Bruce Lee death, but I, I honestly think the brain of Lee death was a, a genuine accident. I, I do too. From everything I've read, I, I just don't see any gain from killing. Like Brandon Lee. Okay, we're back. I have one question for you, Seth. This movie takes place in Detroit, you are correct, but on Devil's Night, the night before Halloween, also known as Mischief Night. That's how I remembered it from Brian, the East Coast, with Mischief Night. Did you ever go out on Mischief Night? I did it twice. First time was in second grade. We got everyone on our street with my Stubies except our two houses. So everyone knew who did it. So we had to clean it up the next day. Uh, and then the next time we did it, I think we were in high school. It might have been, I, I vaguely remember, it's hard to remember. I shouldn't say this. I have a memory of like driving around in Mr. Taco and like having an egg, like it's some, some year in high school. There was so much egging going on in that time frame, it's hard to remember. They all deserved it. For anyone who's listening, they all deserved it. Agreed. Everyone was rich. We didn't set fire to anybody's house. So. No, 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 no. Never broken glass, never fire. No, no, nothing. Uh, just some light. Some mischief. Light misdemeanors. Yeah. I, mean, um, I don't ever remember getting like, in trouble for it. That's probably why I don't remember it that well, actually. That's probably that's a good point. Yeah, don't don't throw eggs, especially at my house or car people, please. All right, old man. <laughs> I know I'm gonna I'm gonna get it so bad. If karma is real, I do believe that. So I'm gonna get it. At some point I'll get it. Okay. I'm gonna laugh. I, I told myself I'm gonna laugh when it happens. But I'm gonna have to try and have a, uh, a good sense of humor about it. Okay. 
Ready to go into the final thoughts and scores? Sure. Final thoughts and scores. Um, I think the biggest win in this movie is like the art direction and the tone and the aesthetic. I think the biggest loss is just some of the performances got away from some of these guys, I think, and some of the, the script is not super tight. Like, we, you know, if you really pull it, like, what's Top Dollar's plan or, like, what was the the reason for this or that, it's not that tight of a movie. And so you really just kind of... Also, the whole thing with the crow and, like, oh, if you killed the crow, then you killed this guy. It felt a little hacky, I guess. And so I wasn't in love with that stuff. Um, the acting, you know, there's some good performances and there's some bad ones. So it's like I give credit to Brandon Lee and Michael Wincott and Biling the guy that plays Grange, uh, they kind of salvaged the movie for me. I think I'm coming in at like a, boy, I think I'm going to go four and a half. Oh, wow. It's a little below average for me. I think it's a little dated for me. I wouldn't really recommend it to anyone unless they were like into comic books or into that like grunge period in the 90s. Oh, wow. I'm a, uh, respect, respect. I'm going to come in a little higher. Um, I agree. I don't really disagree with anything you said. I think I'm giving it a little more credit, though, on some of those performances. Namely, I like Brendan Lee's performance. I don't think it all works. I do agree with some of the scenes with the Sarah, the girl. I kind of just feel contrived or, or, I mean, corny is like black. There's not a better word other than corny. Like, it just doesn't feel authentic. And... But at the same time, the, the movie really, crux of the movie is his relationship with Ernie Hudson, which is a weird thing to say, but like it's, and that, those parts work for me. I yes. think he plays vulnerable well in the at the very, in the third act when they figure out the, that he's vulnerable through the crow. And I mean, like, I think he gives a good performance of that. I think his physical performance is very good. And I think he does like a pretty good job in a, the revenge role. And it's, that might, it might not be the hardest thing in, to, to just be a, the revenge character. I mean, the person getting the revenge, but I, I think he's doing a, I'm giving him credit. I think some of it could be me just trying to boost the film up a little bit too, but I, I give him credit for what he's doing. Uh, namely with Hudson and with the villains, like the villains, I think overall, especially in the second half, those are good villains and they need someone to work off of. I think that what's interesting about this is that it's the only film I can remember where the hero is the straight man almost, and it's everyone playing off him. Like everyone has bigger personality than him, even the girl, even the cop, like everyone does. And so that is a little weird, but I think like we were joking, but we we're talking about the next before he came on. I think Brandon Lee is a really good three in this movie. And like he's not a two or a one, which is weird to say. And like I think that's why the movie kind of suffers. And like hindsight, like I'm losing myself in this analogy. I'm now I'm bashing him after saying I liked it, but I'm going on too long. I liked him. I think the action is still good. I'm I'm, I'm coming in at a six five. Uh, I was thought I was going to be in the eights at one point before I watched it, and then I, I just kept dropping and dropping. Uh, but the reason I'm giving it a six five. I think it is, it's like an effect, it's short, it is, I view it as a horror, revenge, comic book thriller, 
It's very dark though. I wouldn't recommend it for everyone. Uh, I think it's like, I think you need to like comic book films. I think you need to like horror films and I think you need to, or like want a revenge from any of those three, I'll throw it your way. Uh, and I think it gets, again, this is very gross, but like, again, I think it's also has some mystique for me with the brand, with the, the Brandon Lee death. Like, I think he's good in it. So like, this is one of the only roles I know of him. So like, I think it makes me cherish it a little more. That's fair. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I mean, I think there'd be a wide range of scores in this kind of movie because I think it would just hit people in different ways. So it doesn't surprise me that we're a little further off than usual on this one. Yeah. I mean, I mean honestly, I, I'm sure there are people, this has a cult following. I'm sure there are people out there who are like, it's nine or 10. Right. I also, as we've, for some of the reasons we've discussed, I'm sure there are people who are like, this movie's disgusting and like outdated. And no, it's like you shouldn't watch stuff. So, yeah, I, do, I will give it credit though for being, you know, one of the first real R-rated kind of comic book movie. You know, it is kind of breaking new ground in a sense in that way. I agree, and it's interesting because it's a, it's a place where comic book films really haven't gone to many, much since. But when they do, whether it's like a Deadpool, they tend to have success. Like it, it's just interesting. It's it was a bold move then. And it's been proven even bolder in hindsight because people are still reluctant to do it. And I think with that, it's time to say goodnight to the crow. Goodbye, crow. Oh.